A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. economic indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature this podcast is powered by Acast how are you doing there it's David it's the podcast you know the drill we're trying to make economics a little bit more comprehensible that little bit more I don't know Self-evident, sometimes things are complicated and, and I suppose more importantly, germane to your life, you know, putting all the little dots and joining them up together. How are you, Head? I'm good, yeah, not bad. What have, uh, what have you been reading this week? Oh, you're going to love this. You've been in the library all I have been week. in the, I mean, you know me, I love a bit of reading. I've been in the library, I'm deep in this project, right? Which is a kind of a mad, mad project. But this week's character... Johannes Gutenberg, ah, the, the man press. behind the printing press. He is phenomenal. He's unbelievably interesting, right? Brilliant. He's Go a hustler. He's a designer. He's an yeah. entrepreneur. He's a technician. So Gutenberg, obviously, we know the, the printing press, right? Yeah. Gutenberg. Give us a year. 1452. Lovely. Mainz in Germany, on the Rhine, where the Rhine meets the river, Frankfurt on, you know, Frankfurt on Man. Okay. So the, the, the Rhine is the, obviously goes from Switzerland to Rotterdam. Yeah. Mainz is in southern Germany. It's very close to Frankfurt. It's linked to Frankfurt by another river called the Main. And it's also linked up into France by a river called the Mosel. So you've got all these tributaries coming down yeah. and it's right in the center and it's the Holy Roman Empire. Right. The end of the Holy Roman Empire yeah. is where we are, right? And there's all sorts of good stuff going on. And the Italians down below are creating banking and they're creating all sorts of, all sorts of weird products coming out from Florence. It's a, it's a centre of extraordinary commerce. Mm. And Johannes is our man. And he's sitting there and he's a total hustler, right? <laughs> and he starts, you know what he starts doing? He's selling holy mirrors. Right. Akin. Now, Akin, you like, you like, was mirrors for holy people. Right. right. Okay. They were probably blessed by some priest or something, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a great, great time for that. They are selling indulgences, which of course pissed off Martin Luther. And actually, yeah. I've also found out lots about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the most foul mouthed. Joey called, called the Pope uh-huh. fart breath. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's true. Right. Anyway, so <laughs> Gutenberg is selling his mirrors in Aachen. Aachen is important because it's a huge spa town. Yeah. And it was the. It was the seat of Charlemagne's Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. Okay, and lots of people came in. They took take the waters, right? Yeah. Do you know who else you take the waters? Who? Charles Darwin had a terrible bag. 
you know, people would take the waters for their bag. Right. With a net, right? Yeah. Because they obviously believed in hydrology. They thought you could wash things out of you, yeah. which you actually clearly can, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But poor Al Darwin's bag was in a terrible state. Right? A terrible, terrible That was all his travels around, was, eating that funny food. Eating that funny, farting, right? <laughs> okay. But he had a terrible bag, poor old Charles, and he was always complaining, and he was always taking the waters in Bath. Right. He lived in Dorset, and right. he was always taking that, and then he lived in Kent for a while. But he was always taking, but poor old, but I digress. But Gutenberg, <laughs> we're talking about inventors and yeah. innovators. Darwin, another great innovator. What Darwin went, he went out to the world and he picked the plants. And he thought, okay, what's going on here? Because he didn't start as an evolutionary theorist. Mm. Darwin started as a curious botanist. In fact, he was probably one of the very first gentleman botanists because his dad was wealthy. Yeah. His dad was part of the Wedgwood family. The Wedgwood, the Wedgwood family. The Wedgwood were the pottery. The Wedgwood pottery people. Ah. And, and do you know who else was? Remember them? Tony Benn, the great socialist. It was, was Tony he? Wedgie Benn. That was his name, but he never used Wedgie because it all sounded too posh. Wedgie Benn. That was his name. Anyway, I digress. Back to innovators. <laughs> Gutenberg is one of the amazing innovators. So we're in Mainz in Germany, right? There's all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, we we kind of forget that the late Middle Ages, 1400 around then, is a phenomenally interesting time, right? Because you've just come out of the out of the plague, the Black Death, right? Trying yeah. to re recalibrate the society. Yeah. But it's a time of huge, huge innovation. Huge innovation in every area. The Italians and the Florentines and the Venetians are trying to figure out the world, you know. You've got the Renaissance going on down in Italy, but in Germany, which we don't learn that much about, you have amazing mercantile trade and exchange, and they use the rivers. So that's why the Rhine is so crucial to yeah, German history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, if you look at Germany, Germany is a country that has been defined by three great rivers. You've got the Rhine on the west, you have the Danube on the south, yeah. and you have the Elbe and the Oder on the east. And that's why Germany is a big square. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, actually, it's framed by these rivers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, up and down the rivers, all the time is trade, trade, ideas, you know, people coming with new potions and lotions and all sorts of good stuff. Gutenberg's in the middle, but the interesting thing about Gutenberg is he's originally a goldsmith. Right. He's a designer, right? He's a jewellery designer. And he brings that design to the print. If you look at the Bible, the most beautiful thing about the Gutenberg Bible is the print. It's beautiful. Mm. It's really, and in his head, he understood, he's like Steve Jobs. He liked beautiful things. Yeah. So he said, if this Bible, it's not about printing, it's about beauty. Yeah. And it's the beauty that's going to sell it. Like Johnny was, Ive. He's like Johnny Ive, exactly, yeah. exactly. And the interesting thing, he was very lucky, he was, he was lucky in that the Pope at the time was a fellow called Pope Pius II, but he wasn't pious at all. He'd fathered two kids and he wrote erotic poetry. <laughs> I swear to Jesus, he did. And even worse, he got into a papal alliance. He brought the Vatican into an alliance with Vlad the Impaler, Dracula, the original fella. How did this guy become Dracula, Pope? Because Dracula was down, well, I'll tell you in a second, because becoming Pope was... Yeah. Serious bit of skullduggery, you know, it's serious politics. Those, right? But you're appointed by God. Oh, yeah, you're, right. you're appointed by bishops. <laughs> and you, it's all a fit, you know, you're doing the whole thing. Because Dracula, of course, was a Christian king in a place called Wallachia, which is now Romania. And who was annoying the Christians in Romania? The Turks. The Turks, yeah. The Ottomans. Yeah. So you had to do a deal with Vlad the Impaler, who did actually impale many, many thousands of people. That's what he did, right? Yeah. But Pius, our boy Pius, loved the Bible because of its beauty. This is very interesting. Yeah. But if you come back to Gutenberg, Gutenberg was also, his biggest innovation wasn't so much the print, it was the press. Because what had freaked people out for so, so long was how do we press the print 
uniformly so that every Onto letter doesn't smudge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Big technical problem. His solution was he'd also been a wine merchant. He was doing all sorts of shit. Good work, right? And he figured out... He was busy, boy. He was really busy, right? And he figured out, look, what we can do... Wine. How do we press wine? Oh, we use those big, massive corkscrews. This was Roman technology. Right. And he introduced it into printing, right? He also raised money. He also... He was a terrible hustler. He was always in, he was always in rows. He, he was, there's a great case that in Strasbourg, there's a legal case against him because he, he committed to marry some young one. And then he split. And the young one's dad had a case against him because obviously it was a, it was a business deal. Yeah. You know, in the old days, like marriage wasn't about love. It was about, you know, all that sort of stuff. But anyway, the point is, Gutenberg, the innovator, and his great innovation, the printing press, was an amalgamation of practical ideas that he had learned as a child and a young man. Yeah. So in the old days, the way in which you were educated, and this is the thing, no innovator innovates from a blackboard at all. Yeah. You innovate trial and error, trying this, does this work, does this not work? Okay, we try it again. Oh, we take a little bit of technology from there and then we adapt that. Okay, well, we can use that here and, and you yeah, bring yeah. things together. Yeah, and the yeah. great entrepreneur is the great bringer together. That's what entrepreneurs are. They bring together all these things and they flog. And of course, how these guys learned in those days, you became an apprentice to an artisan and you learned your trade. And you learned your trade from the master and the master told you the tricks in the trade. And then you became something. Mm. So at every stage, these guys were mastering technology. They were mastering ideas. They were mastering, they were practical workers, really practical workers. And all the great innovations come from practical ideas. And that, I think, is crucial because I want to talk today about education. Yeah. And I want to talk about whether or not we are preparing kids in this country through the leaving cert, on, not on, or blah, 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 right? Oh, man, yeah. For the real, like, if this country is not innovative, we're going to sink because small countries have to be more innovative than big countries because we've got these small markets. So we've got to come up with better technology, better ideas, better products, all that sort of stuff. If you look back... The great innovators, they were practical people. Practical people who were schooled in practical arts, right? How to do things, how to make yeah. things. If we now are driving hundreds of thousands of young people, so there's like, if you think there's 60,000 people odd to the Leaving Cert, yeah. of those, about 40,000 go to university. So over a four-year cycle, we're talking hundreds thousands of people, right? So yeah. 160,000 here. So if we force them all to do theoretical degrees, just learning by rote, learning by the page, learning from the leaving cert to say, if you learn that off by heart, you'll get yeah. your points. If we keep doing this, there'll be no Gutenbergs. Yeah. There will be only the scribes that Gutenberg actually made redundant. Because yeah. if you think about the scribe, you know, the, the writer, the, right? Yeah. Gutenberg said, man, I'm going to do a new thing. It's called yeah. printing and we're going to make you guys redundant. And the pace of change now because of technology is so phenomenal that we in this country really have to get our head around practical degrees in technology to make not just great technologists, but great innovators as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, with any first degree, you're actually, you come out of university after three or four years or whatever with your first degree and you're actually qualified for nothing, for yeah. nothing. 
You just have a broader knowledge of a particular subject. We're or qualified area. for nothing still. Well, <laughs> clearly. Exactly. <laughs> Podcasting. But it's interesting. It's the ideal kind of course then is a mixture of theoretical and, and on, apprenticeship. And on that, we are now going to talk to John Collison, a proper innovator. John Collison and his brother Patrick yep. set up a company called Stripe. Now, they'd already set up a company before this when they were 16 mm. okay, and sold it for 5 million quid, right? All right. These are really clever, clever Smart guys. Smart boys. Okay? They now live in Silicon Valley. They live in San Francisco. Yeah. Their company Stripe is now worth $35 billion. <laughs> wow. It's mad, isn't it? So we're going to talk to John, right? Yeah. Because John's... John set up and Stephen Kinsella, who's an economist down at UL. Good, good dude. Known him for a long time. We're going to talk to the pair of them on this really fascinating course, which is trying to make innovators out of software engineers to try and do what Collison has done and yeah. basically try and produce more and more and more people like that. So let's go and talk to them. A week ago, a new course was announced in UL. It's called the Immersive Software Engineering MA. It is the brainchild of Stephen Kinsella, Professor of Economics down at UL, a man I've known for many years, and John Collison, the co-founder of Stripe, also a character I've known for many, many years. Gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Great to be here. So, John, let's kick off with you. John, tell me, what is this new course? What is it about? Why did you come up with it? And what do you think it's going to do for the graduates who attend? Software engineering is a domain that you learn by doing, and certainly you get much better at it uh, the more you do, which sounds fairly obvious at some level, but it's the case for a lot of domains. But if you look at how traditional computer science programs work, they don't really set people up for success. You know, they're high, highly theoretical, and then people are dumped into the workplace after um, maybe a four-year degree, and they're going to be encountering a whole bunch of new concepts for the first time. My experience with software engineering was actually very different. I never studied software engineering in college. I had, you know, coded away at various projects as a, as a teenager. And then when we started Stripe, and again, it was all very much this picking things up as you go, as you actually need to learn them on the job. And uh, one thing also just I'll say we notice at Stripe is that the people who join, you know, the uh, new graduates who join Stripe, who have some experience of actually doing software engineering, they get on much better than the people who have only ever seen it in a classroom environment. So take, you know, that thought is thing number one. UL obviously has been doing co-op the longest of any university in Ireland, has one of the largest co-op programs in Europe. UL, I think, gets this across a whole bunch of different domains is that, you know, for a lot of jobs, you need to have really good interactions with, with industry and employers. And so I think the idea behind this course is how can we set up software engineering for what it actually is in the 21st century, which is you know, a, a very rapidly evolving, evolving domain where you need to actually be hands-on with the work. Uh, and that was how immersive software engineering came about. John, what you were talking there is the, which I think is a, is a lovely place to start, is the essential alchemy of innovation, which is trial and error. Tinkering around, messing around, getting things right, getting things wrong, taken from some other place that you mightn't have even imagined takes things from, and then suddenly you have a product, and then putting that product to the market, and then suddenly the market says, oh, we, we quite like that. 
and away we go. Hey, explain to me, and I, again, this is from your own background, not just at Stripe, but also as a, as a teenager messing around. That trial and error process, where does that, do you think that curiosity to tinker around come from in the individual, in the person? Ah, there's, there's an element of problem solving it. Uh, you know, there's a, a puzzle-like aspect of it. A lot of people talk about, you know, being up uh, late. I remember, again, when Patrick and I be working on software projects as teenagers, back in Castle Troy, which we were just talking about when the, the show started and just th- that flow zone of, you know, staying up, you know, from 9 p.m. to the wee hours of the morning, 3 or 4 a.m., just because it was so enjoyable, that state of kind of problem solving that you're in. I think, you know, software engineering is a great career for, for many reasons. I mean, it's a huge shortage of software engineers. It pays really well. But again, one of the things I think about it is just, how enjoyable it is because that tight feedback loop between what you are doing and and the results in that, you know, if you're an architect and you have a great idea for a building and you think it's going to be, you know, a fabulous design, between that mad night, again, between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m., where you're sketching out the design, between that and, you know, people actually being in the building, it's going to be quite a number of years. Whereas as a software engineer, you can have that really great idea start coding away on it and you know there's lots of these real stories of people getting something up and running in a weekend in our case with stripe it was you know we were in college at the time when we got the first version of stripe up and running it was three months between when we first wrote you know our our initial lines of code and had our first paying customers using the product that's still you know that's that amazingly short feedback loop and i think that's where a lot of just why the domain is so satisfying, that's where a lot of it comes from, is that really tight iteration loop and the fact that the effects of your actions are very visible to you and you have that kind of interactivity. And again, that's what we're trying to get going with the course is that you'd be like, given that that is one of the most enjoyable things about software engineering, you'd be mad to then make it this totally academic chalk on a chalkboard, you know, exams, exercises, like, no, let's go do some software engineering, go out and, you know, write drone writing software at Mana or, you know, write uh, autonomous car control software, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's both really interesting. It's the future of the world and you'll learn much more as a result. Now, listen, we're going to hold that thought. And Stephen, I want, I want to bring in you, you, you in here because again, you know, the, what, 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 what John is saying, and I can see it and if you could see this, guys, and you know we're we're just chatting here in the podcast, but when, I, when, but when I when I when I throw John the uh, what is the what's the crack of this software engineering, the animation it comes right through. But Stephen, animation, enthusiasm, innovation, disruption—these are not words you associate with education. Okay, in fact, the opposite tends to be the case. How did you manage to, how to say, get this? course through the various different gatekeepers and i'm not saying ul as you know they're all the bloody same i don't give a damn who we're talking about they're all the bloody same how did you manage that Stephen? because it's quite an achievement well th- thanks i mean i think it, it, it's probably worth talking about like like just how many new things are in this course so go um, for it go for it you get a master's in four years not five or six um we train you like medical students 40 plus weeks of the year um you spend 45% of your time in companies and um, places like Stripe or, or, or Facebook, or LinkedIn, you know, lots of big companies, small companies, uh, startups. And when you're on campus in UL, you don't learn in classrooms. You learn in studios, which is a totally different experience. Um, you learn the way architects learn. In fact, we, there's a whole bunch of innovations under the hood. 
including things like we've moved away from modules now we do blocks it sounds semantic but it's really not it means we've got total flexibility explain that both to me and to the listener what's the difference between a module and a block module is 12 weeks so so you do it in 12 weeks so you taught in trinity david you you taught in a 12-week rotation same it's same for everyone we can with blocks we can do two weeks seven weeks nine weeks at 14 weeks whatever is required to get the real depth in there for the students we have a really really tight feedback loop between the companies that we're working with, the researchers that we're working with, and, and also the students. So, so the companies will be coming in, sponsoring projects, the students will be working on the projects, and it'll be kind of, it'll be a really nice, very fast feedback loop there. It's a, it's a completely different model. Uh, you know, under the hood, there's a lot going on. We're the first uh, engineering program in Ireland to have a portfolio, and not just coding, but like, uh, show me evidence of creativity, of excellence, of curiosity. We want this, all this extra data uh, on you because we really are looking for for exceptional people. And that doesn't just mean people who, who've got 600 points. A big part of what we're trying to crack here is the, the residencies in that the whole thing would not work. Getting a master's in four years, that's a really accelerated timeline. The whole thing would not work unless you were getting academic credit for the time you spend in companies. And I think that's important to, to just drill down on because oftentimes internships or something like that uh, are viewed as like, oh yeah, it's nice to do. And you get a contact in the company, you know, we all joke about this making the tea thing, but that is, you know, maybe only a slight exaggeration in terms of what you're doing. And how we've deliberately designed the course is that the residencies are part of the learning and actually count towards some of the academic credit. And when you say kind of what was hard in getting this through, as it were, I think that is just a very novel thing, certainly in a software engineering context, that took a bunch of work. But what it means then is we're deliberately putting a big weight of expectations on the residencies. Uh, and that's a, yeah, going to be a big part of it, I think, where we're saying to the industry partners, again, you know, Stephen named some of them, but the, you know, the Stripes and the Facebooks and the people like that, we're, we're saying to them, look, students actually have to learn. You know, you, you can't just have someone come in and get a feel for the building and, you know, meet some people and, you know, that's it. You actually have to do real work where there's academic learning outcomes as part of that work. Uh, and t- take stuff away from it. And similarly with the students, we'll, we'll be judging you on how effective you were you know, at the company and how effective you hit those goals. So I think that's one of the big parts that's important to, um, to, to get right is the residencies are actually part of the you know, academic experience and they're not just tacked on. Steve and I talk a lot about how software engineering is one of the best kept secrets. It's a fabulous career. It's really interesting. It's really fun. And yet, not that many students in Ireland pursue it. And I think part of the reason for that is software engineering has terrible branding. Uh, I don't know if you remember the episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes to college and his roommates are all, you know, software engineering nerds. Uh, that, that is basically, I think, the branding that software engineering has. And we, we need to improve that. Do you want me to go to college? Remember, your job and the future of your family hinges on your successful completion of Nuclear Physics 101. Dr. Simpson? Actually, I've been working on a plan. During the exam, I'll hide under some coats and hope that somehow everything will work out. Or, with our help, you can cram like you've never crammed before. Whatever. Either way is good. All right, here are your exams. 50 questions. True or false? All right, brain. You don't like me and I don't like you. But let's just do this and I can get back to killing you with fear. It's a deal. Oh, I'm 
going to lose my job just because I'm dangerously unqualified. Mr. Simpson, there is a way we could, well, use a computer to change your grade. <gasps> Computers can do that? You know, Stephen says that we need a Grey's Anatomy for software engineering where, you know, they're hip and young and cool and whatever. And this is what UL is going to provide. It's, it's a sort of a, it's a Tinder for software engineers. I, I mean, have you been to Limerick? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but, but if you actually look at who really does well in software engineering, there's part of it absolutely that is about being good at software and being able to wrap your head around these kind of complex systems and, and you know, making the computer do what you want. That's fine. There's also a whole set of meta skills around it that again part of the value of residencies as we see it is that you pick up on those as you go and so one is obviously you don't just build software for just for no reason at all you don't just build software for fun i mean sometimes you do but generally you have a customer in mind you are kind of looking to do it and so uh you know we um if you look at the uh track and trace apps uh you know the let's get checked uh, style stuff uh, or Nearform uh, coming out recently, that is a piece of software with a target customer in mind, and it has to work for that target customer, and it has to be understandable. And so one of the things that we do tons of as uh, at Stripe is actually engineers doing customer development, where they're actually talking to a customer saying, is this confusing? What works well? What works poorly? And you're running that iterative cycle. And, you know, there's the famous Henry Ford quote that, you know, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses. And so part of the art and part of what you as a software engineer have to be good at is not literally listening to what people say and they say, oh, I want a button here that does this. It's like, no, 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 you want to hear out what it is, isn't, isn't working for them, and then translate that into how the software should work. So that's an example of something that I think people wouldn't traditionally think of as software engineering, the customer empathy, customer discovery, needs analysis part of it, but actually is, I would say, very predictive of who is a good software engineer and just who does well at software engineering. They can really do that. There's lots of other things it's... like project management and things like this, but that's where I think the, you know, Simpsons, uh, stereotype of the software engineering nerd is not actually accurate compared to who does really well in a software engineering career. Just one other thing. One of the things is, you know, when we talk to companies, one of the really interesting things that they ask us is, you know, are these students going to know the basics? Are they going to have a really deep drilling in the theory? Are they going to understand, you know, databases and, and, and things like that? And we say, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, this is an accredited course at a master's level. Uh, we absolutely will teach these students not just the basics. They'll learn, you know, they'll learn about you know uh, compilers and and and, and databases and so forth. But what 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 they'll also get in addition to all the theoretical stuff is all of the practical aspects that John just described. You know, and um, one of the really interesting kind of quotes on the on the website is from Mark Andreessen, who who you know he, he, who knows uh, a thing or two about this game. Yeah. So this is a guy, you know, absolute, you know, software development pedigree from way back, you know, very much an OG in, in the space. And, you know, he, he said, Can I, you know, this is the course I wanted to, to do in college. We, well, that's, we, that's we, pretty, that's a, that's a compliment. Yeah. Well, we, we have the co-founder of Instagram saying, you know, this is the course to do if you want to make the next Instagram. I think that's a, that's, that's not a bad endorsement. That's a, no, well, that's, well, this, you know? this, is, this is exactly what you want. Do you want people who've done it? who actually can figure out, look, I did it or we did it. Typically, it, it's always a we did it. And we were needing these types of people. And if we only had something like this to accelerate, uh, we probably would have got those people quicker uh, and sooner. And now you guys are providing it. I mean, that's that's really, you know, the the for you guys, the imprimatur you, you want at this stage, isn't it? Yeah. 
And, and, and I think that point is important on uh, Mike Krieger yeah, saying that this is how you create the next Instagram, which is we're trying to get things going with a really good set of industry partners where you, there's just a good mix of work available to you. And part of our thinking is you're going to have a whole bunch of different residencies over the course of your time at UL. And so part of what you can do is you can just try different things. You can work for a little bit of time at Stripe. Uh, you can go uh, design the, again, you know, you've probably seen on Twitter, Mana, their videos of the uh, drone deliveries you're doing. You can go work in the drone routing software there. You can go uh, work at Provizio and, uh, you know, they're trying to reduce the instance of car crashes. You can go uh, try and fight climate change. Uh, you know, there's Viotas, which is uh, minimizing electricity use, or there's Watershed, which helps companies go carbon neutral. So there are all these different things in a menu of things you can do. But, you know, when you graduate, it might be the case that then you go join one of those companies. That'd be great. It also might be the case that when you graduate, you go start your own thing. And again, one of the things that I think is most exciting about software engineering is the barriers have come down so, so much to be able to actually start your own company where it is feasible for, uh, you know, just two people with a pretty bright idea to uh, go off and run with it and spend half a year or a year uh, working on it. I mean, again, that's Patrick and I started Stripe while we were at college. And that is really part of the design of the course is the notion that a lot of people will become professional software engineers at companies, go do that, but a lot of people may start their own thing. And indeed, the uh, two, of our, two of the partners that we have are uh, Frontline Ventures, a VC company, and Enterprise Ireland. So, and one of the learning outcomes from one of the modules is actually to set up your own company. So, you know, we have, the, we have this built in from, from the start. What strikes me is that one of the problems with education as a general concept is the way it's been so stratified. So you go to school, you go to secondary school, then for five years after secondary school, you do some sort of university training. Uh, certainly here in Ireland, we've got very, very high levels of third level uh, attendance, and uh, and then you stop. And then, then, then you're 23 years old and you stop. And the, the data is very few people ever go back and do anything else ever again. Are you saying, John, that, you know, if, you, if you've been knocking around for a while, just knock on our door because you might find this interesting? Well, look, uh, one, uh, I'm not sure I'm the most qualified person to be opining on education as a general matter. Uh, I, I didn't even finish third level education. But yeah, not everyone should become a software engineer. Uh, and I, I think, you know, you get all this, you know, everyone should learn to code thing. It's like, well, you should learn to code if you want to learn to code and you like it and you think you'd be good at it. But many more people should become software engineers than currently do. And that is everything behind this. And that could be mature students, as you're referencing, or people who've kind of pursued one career but realize maybe they want to do this instead. But we also just look at the set of people. You know, the first students who will matriculate into this course are currently in TY or in fifth year. So that is the set of people who are, you know, going to be first eligible for this course. Uh, and as Stephen says, there's a lot of people who maybe they did really well in the junior search, they are uh, really good at bats, uh, and they and their parents should be thinking about not just, you know, maybe they're thinking of doing theoretical physics at Trinity or you know, maybe they're going to go pursue medicine or uh, engineering or something like that. Just software engineering, given what a fun career it is, given what amazing career prospects there are. And, you know, we see this in the, I mean, you look at the headlines and it's just day after day, a new startup being set up, new jobs being created. In the last month alone, 650 new jobs being created in software engineering. And it's funny, I go talk to other people running tech companies or founders of companies, and they'll just talk, you know, your ear will be red. You'll, they'll be talking your ear off about the skills shortage and the fact that they can't hire enough qualified software engineers. And so I think there's 
giant demand for software engineers. It's not that everyone should go do it, but many more people should be considering it than uh, than currently do. Listen, John, John Collison, Stephen Kinsler, that was fascinating stuff. Congratulations on the initiative and all the stuff on, uh, on Stripe. And we hope we'll talk to you again in the podcast sometime in the future. Absolutely. It was fabulous. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Thank guys. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fascinating stuff there from Stephen and John Collison. And if you want to find out about that course specifically, the website is software-engineering.ie. By the way, we only touched the surface of the conversation with John Collison there. We're going to bring you the rest of the conversation. We talked about the future of tech. We talked about how Ireland can do it, how we can change things around. Talked about lots and lots of stuff. We're going to actually give you the second part of that conversation next week. Next yeah. Thursday. No, it's really good. And it's re- like there's some really interesting, fascinating there's stuff. All sorts it. of good stuff. But we just wanted to focus on that course, on education, on practical, and the link between the practical and the innovator. Yeah, it's crucial. And also in terms of creativity, it put me in mind of, I used to write an article, a column in Broadcast Magazine many I, years you ago. You never told me that. Oh, yes. Were been, you a ghostwriting journal in your I time? I was, yeah. It was on on behalf of one of my clients, a guy called Mike from XTV, which was a... a and what, a, what did you call this column? Did you have a pseudonym? <laughs> I called it Fag Break. <laughs> Well, okay. I know wasn't Can I just tell you, right, just so you know, right? <laughs> During the podcast, where are we going Davis now? <laughs> has about five fag breaks. No, about three. About oh, three. Do you know what? I don't even smoke when I go outside. It's just to get outside. To get away, away from, from me. <laughs> <laughs> go on, tell us about the column. But anyway, uh, so th- this guy, he was a graphics designer, TV graphics. But on one of the columns, I wrote about serendipity. 
and the importance of serendipity in the kind of creative field. You mean like just luck, just things happening? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Trying things and, you know, it's kind of like the law of unintended consequences. So you're kind of playing around and you come up with something new. And that happens all the time in recording studios. That's what I'm saying. In your time recording albums, there must have been moments where it's just like something falls into place. Yeah. And it wouldn't have fallen into place if you hadn't given the extra day or two days or a week. You have to actually create time to play around so you can kind of come up with ideas and allow this. You know the way they they say, you know, there's no such thing as luck. You make your own luck. Well, that is part of creating time for serendipity. No, it's it's true. What I, what I think what John was saying there was I think it's really crucial is these short feedback loops he was talking about. Yeah, because there's nothing more soul destroying in work than getting no feedback or or having to wait for hours. Because that's so true. All of us feel that our work is urgent and it's important. If you think about it, like in general, that's why you go and do things, right? And if you're getting no feedback from either the product itself or a boss or a manager or whatever. You think like, what's the point of me doing this? Yeah. You know, what's the point of me doing this? And that idea that himself and his brother got stripe from the idea to somebody paying for their product in three months. That is incredible. And stuff. I hadn't thought about software engineering as being almost instant gratification. Mm. And that's really important because yeah. that, that's what keeps you going. And again, to come back to the education system, if you're a kid, you know, Doing the leave. I mean, I've always thought as well, you know, the leaving search in Ireland, right? Mm. Why does it take three months to market? Why, why don't they get the results a week later? Two weeks later, three weeks later, why don't you put more resources into marketing it? Yeah. Get the kids out of this idea of the whole... The whole yeah, it's torturous. It's, it's absolutely torturous. torturous. But, I mean, that's and you're in limbo for those couple of exactly, months. Exactly, exactly. Or, or, or you're like, my young for the gala didn't do it at all. <laughs> and as I said... Yeah. Hasn't that a really correct? Well, let's see. Wait, wait, let's see when the exam's coming around this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that idea of the, the, cool. short, uh, the short connection and the feedback loops, I think that's really, really important. And again, if you're trained as an artisan, to go back to our friend Gutenberg, mm. you're being told by the master, do this. Yeah. Don't just, don't put it on the blackboard, you know, actually go and do it. Yeah. So all these great, and again, from back from history, these innovators, they made their mistakes on the job and there's no better way of doing this. And you see lots and lots of people. I remember, you know, graduating and having no real confidence in your own abilities because you'd never done anything. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah you, theory. you get a job, you're called an, I'm an economist now. I work in a central bank. My job has got economists written in the door, but you're like, what do I do? Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to relearn the whole thing, you know? Yeah. And, and I think what's going on in Limerick, it's fascinating because clearly it's learning by doing and making and mistakes. Absolutely. And the feedback loop and the, a quick feedback loop creates its own momentum as well to drive things forward and drive on to yeah. the next iteration or whatever it is. You know, and it's really important for the creator as well or the writer or whatever, yeah. you know, to, to get that feedback loop to move on to the next phase. Unless, of course, you get the feedback loop from your editor and they say the book is shite. <laughs> well, there's always that. <laughs> but hey, you know, hey. That's, that's good. See, the, the other thing is that feedback can be criticism, but it's not always criticism. It's constructive criticism. Oh, yeah. No, no, um, uh, you're right. And the, the worst thing is to be in limbo. And you see it all the time. You know, somebody said to me, uh, and it's a quote from somewhere, like, there's never really bad workers. There's only bad managers. 
right? Mm. Like there's never bad students, there's only bad teachers. Because part of managing people is managing their deep sense of themselves. Because, you know, it goes back to the Greeks, you know, why do we do things? Why do we exist? Why do we think about philosophy? Why do we think about ourselves? Because we want to make a difference. You know, people want yeah. to, you know, I exist. This is the, you know, if you look at those guys, I'm always intrigued. You know those hand paintings you see yeah. from 17,000 years ago, Yeah. right? Somebody leaves an impression on their hand and what they're trying to say is, I exist. Yeah, I've been here. I, I've been here yeah. and I'm important. Mark was here. Exactly, you know, but, <laughs> uh, but I'm important. And and, and, and this, this age, this ego that people talk about, that so many people say, oh, the ego's out of control and la, la, la. But the ego is what, actually makes us human yeah and the feedback yeah. is what gives us that gratification that we're on the right path and once you're on the right path and the process of innovation doesn't become this extraordinarily difficult big project what it becomes is a small amalgamation of little wins all the time little tinkering around little improvements this is you know that expression you should never let the perfect Bully the good. Yes. So yeah. always, perfection doesn't exist. We get there, but we're always getting there. And that's what innovation is all about. Yeah, but you know, what John Collison is saying there is that our whole education system, not just in the, the narrow tech world, but our whole education system is kind of out of date, not fit for purpose. That's exactly what he's saying. And if you put it in the context of Small countries need to be more innovative than big countries. And the reason is we need to compete more. We don't have a captured market. Mm. So a country like Ireland can never get rich buying and selling to each other because there's too few of us. So you have to project out of here. And the way in which you can do that, the only way you can do that is being more innovative. And innovation stems from not just education, but the whole culture of the society that rewards people and doesn't besmirch people for innovating. Yeah. But at the centre of and that's a big problem. You know, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. of the idea of attacking people for failures, that is deep in our culture. I mean, and, and, it, and it prevents people. But at the core of that, I think, are the lessons people learn in the education, in school, mm. in class, right? Because school is where we learn everything. And school is where we frame our own ambitions. And school is where we think this is how things are done. Now, if we go down the rote learning or we continue the rote learning, then you create, you don't create innovators, you create receptors, okay, that they receive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the innovator yeah, yeah. is never a receptor. They're an active person. Like innovation is an active rather than a passive yeah. activity. And I think that what John Collison is trying to say is that we need to have a complete rethink. So is this is this a kind of a Schumpeterian moment in oh, education? Oh, Schumpeter, John. I knew we'd so get we back love to Schumpeter. The Joseph Schumpeter, an Austrian economist who wasn't an Austrian economist. Because you know, there's a school of economists called the Austrian School. Right. Schumpeter happened to come from Austria, but he wasn't. He didn't go to that school. He didn't go to that school. He went to another school. Went to the Christian Brothers down the road. She's <laughs> <laughs> now become a community school. Like, oh, what happened to the CBC? Let's educate together. Let's educate together. Yeah, what happened to the old fashioned school? Anyway, on the issue of Schumpeter, you're absolutely right. The fact of economics is that the capitalist society runs on the basis of the gales of creative destruction. 
Yeah. So companies and individuals, this is the interesting thing. We all have to be innovators in our own world, right? Ideas, ways of doing things are always, always in competition with other ideas. This is back to our evolutionary yeah. economics idea. Yeah. And when you look at what they're trying to do, it's kind of Schumpeterian because Schumpeter's ideas, there isn't a great big solution to everything. Everything is small, little iterations. Suck it and see, does that work? Trinker around, make a little adjustment. Maybe what John Collison is trying to do down at UL is that Schumpeterian idea that we're not going to ruffle the feathers and say we need to change yeah. the education. Yeah. We're just going to do one thing. And if that works, that gives permission for somebody else to do something else and somebody else. And that's how you change. Change isn't a Marxist revolutionary moment yeah. normally. It's the culmination of what I think is a beautiful expression, little mutinies in people's heads, where your mind has a mutiny against the status quo. Right. And you say, I don't accept that. I'm going to do this. That's the magic. That's the elixir of economic progress. Now, why I have you there again. Why not use the time when you're locked up to learn economics? Join me on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Let's learn economics together. We have the economics course. Macroeconomics has never been as essential to understand. We have the Ask Mac tutorials every other week. We have Q&A. We've got the reading list. And more importantly, you become part of the community. If you have a question, if you have something that's going on, you want to ask me, join me on Patreon email in i will answer your question but more importantly it's ad free just you and me and your man across the way hey patreon.com forward slash dave mcwilliams and let's figure out the world together 